Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. I love that lack of sportsmanship. <laughs> he them all. Hope Sister Jean prays for the vision of Mitch Barnhart and the rest of the committee because clearly <laughs> they need some assets. And SI's Pat Forty. Conference of Champions, incredible display, unbelievable <laughs> excellence, superior performance. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, NCAA tournament is rolling. But I have bigger news to discuss first. Pat Forty was in Indianapolis covering all of the travails, the games, the the, the soap opera, the drama. And what happened to your car, Pat? I heard your car broke down. <laughs> it did. I got to get to the bottom of this before we discuss anything else. I can care less about Oral Roberts. I want to hear about you stranded on a highway. I love it. <laughs> the most upset-ridden tournament in history, but we're going to talk about my car. Okay. Yes. Did you have Fine. a bad day? Did you oh, have I a bad, bad day? Because that warms my calmly. heart. There was no cursing. He was level-headed, strategic. I'm sure it was well, just, you know, it was like he had, like, spilled a little uh, coffee on the kitchen counter and just had to wait. I'll, I'll give you the play-by-play. This man rants at Division One AA football. <laughs> Can we imagine how the car <laughs> breakdown goes? <laughs> well, okay, so... On Saturday, I had driven from downtown to Hinkle and pulled into the parking garage, and I noticed the uh, temperature gauge was up too high, higher than it should be. And so I was worried. I was concerned. Uh, Got back to the hotel. I'm like, I'm not going to drive the car Sunday. Monday morning, I'm taking it first thing to someplace to have it looked at. Now, I don't know where to go in Indianapolis. I'm like Googling around. I find a place in Plainfield which unfortunately was about 11 miles away. So Monday morning, first thing, now I walk out, and here's where Pat Forty is a stupid car guy. I mean, there, there, there are a million re- ways, different ways, but, but I am a stupid car. I can't fix anything. I can't change my own oil. I can't do any of that stuff. I can fix a flat. That's about it. I can pump gas. I can get to Jiffy Lube for them to change the oil for me. But so... I can like, pump gas. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. In like it hadn't rained in days and there's a little bit of water around the tires of my car. And right then and there, I thought, hmm, that's probably not good. That probably means there's water leaking out of the radiator, the coolant, something, something's, you know, not working. But did I call AAA then and have them come get the car? Oh, no, no. I got in the car anyway and said, I think I can make it that 11 miles to Plainfield and have them look at it. And I made it 8.5 miles. And then on the Ronald Reagan Parkway, it died. Coming up to a red light, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to stop. 
And what that means by now the engine light, like the engine temperature is absolutely redlined. So I'm screwed. And I'm like, God, please just get me the next two and a half miles. What? Get to the red light. You got to stop. Car dies. Never starts again. And so then I spent the next 20 minutes, you know, calling AAA. Okay, can you come get the car? Where are we going to take the car? Ba 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 ba. And it usually takes a while for the tow truck to get there. So I spent 20 minutes pointing people to go around my car, do not get my car, go around my car, and including the one woman who was texting while she was driving and came damn close to hitting my car. Yeah. Uh, And so, but finally, so I'm sitting there, like, just hating everything about my life. And I'm going to miss the first half of Iowa, Oregon. And yes, I I was a very pleasant soul at this point, as you guys, you are, you are, you are accurate in your prediction of how i was handling all this so then some, some Yahoo guy it people are listening to this and laughing very hard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anybody who's ever been again. around me in a difficult moment yeah <laughs> so then yeah like some guy just pulls over you know comes walking over puts on his mask says hey you know your car's gonna get hit here i'm like yeah i know i'm trying to avoid that well let me push it and i was like really you want to? he's like yeah i'll push it you know i was like 50 yards to the actual light and turn because i would didn't quite get that far. And so he starts pushing and he's like dying. He's, he's not doing that great. And so three of the, another car stops and three other guys get out. Hey, we'll help you. And all of a sudden, who's your hospitality, baby? They get me to the corner and get me around the corner. And everything's just fine and dandy after that kind of. The picket fence formed behind your car. <laughs> <laughs> we ran the picket fence. We did. In the heartland of Indiana. This is why they won't let that uh, final four come back to Detroit because you would not have made out as well. (laughs) We would not have treated you so well. (laughs) I thought Dwayne Washington's late game shot selection against Oral Roberts would be the most second guess thing out of the first weekend of the (laughs) tournament. But no, Pat made so many bad decisions here. I don't even know where to start. I mean, did you think that you would defy the laws of, of physics? And boiling temperature? No, no. But I was you just hoping anyway. And let your engine cool. Lift the hood. Wait a few <laughs> minutes. Then you could have probably made it. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. You know. But look, at that point, after watching the temperature gauge just flat hit red line, I was like, oh my! I, I, I panicked. I was like, God! <laughs> <laughs> and Right. When Pat's Maddie is actually a little bit like a cartoon character, so this is <laughs> this is uh, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, this <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh about it. How is your car? Is it just dead? T- TBD. I think you okay. know it's 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 um, it has not been given last rights. It's uh, they they matter of fact what they, what I was told is the part that, that we're replacing is actually relatively cheap. Uh, it's a you know a coolant tank issue thing i don't know and uh so it's being worked on i came home for a couple of days here to louisville uh and we'll head back up there and supposedly allegedly my car will be waiting for me so you just rent a car i might i rented a car to come home and i got in the rental car today and of course got stuck in dead stop traffic on i-65 as you guys know which is why we're taping this later but also they gave me a car with a quarter tank of gas so that's always a good feeling. You don't notice that until you're 10 miles down the road. Like, wait a minute. So now I got to get go- from Indy to Louisville with a quarter tank of gas. Do you have to go all the way to the airport to get a rental car? Or did you get no, a downtown? No, there was a downtown rental car the, place. The, the cars are sticking together because they're mad that you tried to kill its buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Seems to be anyway. the case here. Well, um, next time, 
just please stop. The, yeah. <laughs> when the when the when the the radiator says it's about to overheat, it's not like trying to like fool you. <laughs> I thought I could make it that last two and a half miles, Dan. I thought yeah, I could well, make it. Didn't do it. I think uh, the real second guess here is why eleven miles, right? Like it's Indianapolis. I know. It's a major American city. Like they, I know. That's not the yeah. Anyway. I know. I know. All right, it's been a uh, upset-filled March Madness. The national seed aggregate is 94. If you add up all the seeds, it breaks the previous record of 89 from Smash 1986. It. it is double the super chalky 2019, which just had a 49. Wow. 14, the 14 highest-paid coaches in the country are not still playing. Wow. Mick Cronin at 15 for UCLA is the highest paid coach left. Dana Altman is at 20. So just two of the top 20 and none of the top 14. You're all at home collecting huge paychecks. Seven, uh, nine of the 16 remaining teams have never won a national title. Seven have, but only two this century. Villanova, which has won twice in the last few years, and 2003 Syracuse. Now, I think you could add Gonzaga and Michigan uh, certainly to the list of, you know, common contenders. Obviously, Michigan's been to a couple title games. But for the most part, it's a whole bunch of new. You get some old pro, you know, UCLA hasn't won since 95, Arkansas 94, Oregon not since 1939, trying to rekindle the magic. (laughs) Uh, Tall furs. Tall furs. A whole Pat new covered that day. run out of, out yeah, of the East, right? Yeah. <laughs> the tall furs. Loyola made a final four, but that was sort of like a kind of miracle run, but maybe not now. So we'll get into because we want to we want to get into the misery of uh, the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. But I wanted to to pose this question: Is this a one time thing? Is this just variable? Is this COVID? Is this the start of a trend? Is the fact the transfer portal allows kind of these mid, mid-level teams to plug gaps? Is it the, the analytics and the style of play, particularly of Alabama, where three-point shooting is so important? And so maybe you get a guy who's super skilled at one thing, now has value opposed to where you had, everyone had to be like a great athlete. Or, and I want to throw this out there, is this the fallout in part from the FBI investigation, which which neutered, at least for the time being, the power of shoe companies, namely Adidas and Nike, to stock certain teams with lots and lots of talent. If you look at all the Adidas programs, man, none of them are kicking. Louisville, NC State, Kansas's team the other night had a dramatically less talent than it used to have. If the flags, if we don't have a shoe company trying to group talent with their flagship programs. Those flagship programs are no longer stacked with players and kids are going all over. Now, you certainly have like Mobley goes to USC as dad's kind of a family thing. Cunningham goes to Oklahoma State as a family thing. But that that can happen. Michael Porter Jr. went to Missouri and that type of situation. But the talent's more spread out. Is it any of those, all of those? And did the NCAA, did the FBI maybe not clean up college basketball because the money's still flowing, but change how that money's still flowing. Love that theory. And yes, I do think there is there is a correlation to a degree. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. And Kansas is the, the clear example uh, just in terms of, yeah, that team, 
there, there is not the usual level of talent. And, and Bill Self has said, gosh, we're, we're having trouble recruiting with this NCAA investigation hanging over our heads. Hmm. Well, darn, darn the luck, Bill. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Duke, Duke and Kentucky, the, the Nike flagships are, you know, nowhere near where they usually are. So was it just a, a down year or down couple of years in recruiting or is this part of the deal? I, 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 I'm sure it's part of the deal. Um, you know, and I think that, that when that happens, when, and, and, all right, we have got the guys that went, uh, G league, you know, that would have been freshmen. You've taken those off the top. You've dispersed a little bit more of the talent, and I think that uh, that that it's just a, a more level playing field. And once again, we're seeing veteran teams uh, excelling that have had players together for you know the, like the Baylor nucleus has been together for three years. The the Gonzaga nucleus has been together. They added Jalen Suggs. You know Loyola, absolutely. Uh, you know, UCLA's guys have mostly been together. Florida State, you know, they, they, there's just the continuity and experience are mattering a lot. You know, I, and again, I, I think this will be the wave of the future or the, you know, the continued wave is that get old, stay old is the strategy. And that strategy continues to work. I mean, if you look around, other, other than Mobley and Jalen Suggs and Suggs is part of a veteran team. You know, there's this is not a bunch of freshman phenoms leading their teams anywhere here. Yeah, those are all those are all really good points, Pat. I really think this year, the pandemic and then 2021, you know, which is obviously drafting off of the uh, endless FBI scandal, which, by the way, none of these schools are even close to getting punished. Like, I don't even think I think next we'll go through a fifth season without the NCAA doing anything to a majority of these places, which is insane. But that's another topic. I really think the. Death of high school recruiting is probably dramatic because they're, you know, people are always going to want Jalen Suggs on their team, right? But I think the de-emphasis of high school recruiting is that we are at a pivot point. We're living that right now because essentially, you know, look, look at Max Acemas right now and uh, Kevin O'Banner from uh, from Oral Roberts. Great players, right? They both have scored 26, 28, uh, 25 plus a game, two NCAA tournament games. They're high level players. Paul Mills told me Acemas was like, 140 pounds when he was in high school. And so like he wasn't going to he wasn't going to go to Texas Tech or Baylor or Texas. He but emphasis on bringing in guys who can help you win now. And, and it's always been there, right? Notre Dame had done this for years and built their program around it. Like the 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 transfer up notion isn't new, but once you flip the switch and let one-time transfers go, like I don't want Johnny Skinny 18-year-old coming in and taking 2 years to maybe help me. I can go take a 21-year-old, I mean, like, Kevin O'Banner's a redshirt junior, right? I imagine he's 21, 22 years old. He went to Mount Zion, so he prepped. Like, that guy can help you win basketball games. And these coaches are myopic. College basketball is definitively now a year-to-year business. Like, look at Oregon. You look at their roster last year, and you go look at their last five rosters. Uh, Brian Hamilton did a great story in Athletic uh, a couple of years ago. Peyton Pritchard talked about all 42 of his teammates, like uh-huh. th- there's just been papers of four year guy, like the sort of quintessential college guy who you knew and remembered and grew up with. Like he just had this rotating cast of characters blow through. And I really think that's where you are in college basketball. Like you're going to be familiar with some of the guys on Gonzaga. You're going to be familiar with Baylor because they've been there. But for the most part, it is going to be a hard reset on a lot of these programs every year. And that's not like just random mid majors. 
Duke is going to become more that way. And so is Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's already kind of been that way with the with the one and done, but they're clearly going to have to adjust their strategy and start getting better transfers. Like that's where it's an old man's game now. And and I think if you really look through this this tournament, I'd be curious, like the average roster age of this sweet 16 versus 10 years ago. I would imagine it's uh, I would imagine it's higher. Patience is gone and waiting for guys to grow up. And look, you're going to have a better hit rate because you have years of synergy on guys and you know exactly what their skill level is. If you're recruiting adults as opposed to teenagers who you really have to start recruiting when they're sophomores and they commit when they're juniors. And there's so many variables there where mistakes can be made. I, I just think it. I just think it makes sense, and this is a sign, especially when that rule change happens, of where we're going. We've discussed this in football, but I think in basketball even more so. If I was running one of these programs, a major program, I would have an entire group of, and you kind of have that limitless resource as long as you're not putting guys on the floor. I, you want an NBA front office type setup where you are watching other teams' players and saying, who can I get? Yeah. Uh, who, you know, it, it's not going to be a trade, but, and that's especially true at some of the schools that have exceptional coaches, but are not normally that appealing to the wide-eyed high school kid. You know, Kelvin Sampson is one hell of a coach. You want to go play for Kelvin Sampson if you're willing to go to Houston. Nothing wrong with the University of Houston, but it's not the University of Texas, the campus, or it's not Kentucky. But those kids that have gone through that process and now all of a sudden they're 20 and they're looking to transfer, it's a different, they're looking, they're different too. They're like, where do I fit in? It's no longer like, well, these guys got the coolest uniforms. Right. You know, yeah. Oregon State, great coaching. Loyola, Chicago, great coaching. These places are not getting McDonald's All-Americans. It's not happening in, in general at these places. Boy, might be a might be a spot there now. And I think Arkansas, all the I think it's gonna be very interesting to see where it goes. I would be sitting there saying, I, I've got five guys watching games every single night around the country, and I got a list. And so when that somebody hits the portal, I am all over them. And I don't care if it's low, low level, high major guy that didn't get I mean, it is player personnel now, not I'm spending my time taking, uh, you know, AAU coaches to to gentlemen's clubs, or <laughs> making sure the shoe executive and his back man are are happen to have the room next door to a top recruit at the <laughs> Midnight Madness. What school did that? I can't. Remember. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Kansas, Kansas deserves what happened the other night because they sued Jim Gatto. I, I'll never forgive them for suit. Jim Gatto is the Adidas executive who is facing prison for supplying Kansas in part, not all of it, but a lot of it, with the players to win 47 consecutive Big 12s. <laughs> Jim Gatto got arrested. Kansas tried to climb. They were victimized by Jim Gatto. And they sued him for a million bucks. Yeah. They sued him. No sympathy for the victims, Dan. <laughs> the you just victims. heartless, cold-hearted. You have no sympathy for those poor victims who won all those titles and made all those millions and filled their gym all those nights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Andrew I mean, Wiggins just really liked wheat. All right. Can't you just wrap <laughs> your mind around that? All of a sudden, they've got to try to recruit and convince all these great players 
to come to Kansas and all of a sudden they don't want to come. Oh, but it's the investigation. No, you don't have Adidas in your pocket anymore. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. You can get Kansas fans to believe your crap, but I'm not going to. It's obvious <laughs> the spigot is over and you sued the guy. Yeah. You could have just shut up and not tried to bankrupt the dude <laughs> and his family, who's the nicest guy in the world. All he was doing was helping you. Just move on. But no, you had to claim you're a victim and you sue, tried to sue a dude into bankruptcy. And yeah. guess what? You got your ass victimized by USC and you're going to get victimized <laughs> next year. You're going to get victimized the year after. And at some point, Kansas is going to realize even the hardcore. I mean, so I got no sympathy for Kansas, but this is what happened. We didn't have Jeff any Long? players last night. Was the team was Long terrible. At the, at, the, at the helm for that decision. Jeff Long, victim. To, victim, to sue? victim Jeff. Oh. He's yeah. been victimized like, by less Miles. I don't think it's timeline-wise. Um, would Jeff Long have been the uh, been the AD? I think he was. I think he I was. Think so but too. I th- drop I think the so. lawsuit. I'll start rooting for Kansas again. But yeah. I, this <laughs> is what happened. You had these teams, and it's not just we're going to do what we can to get. I mean, it's on the te- DeAndre Ayton or Zion Williamson for you. Neither of which went to Kansas. But it's what these guys did. They we the, the case we know the most of of the shoe companies is is Brian Bowen because it was the most. The most described in testimony. Louisville paid a or Adidas was going to pay and started paying Brian Bowen's dad a hundred thousand dollars to get him to go to Louisville to be the second, third scoring option and get the team over the hump to a final four. That's what shoe companies did. It's not just the top five guy, a hundred grand for a dude who wasn't that good. He was good. Top 30, 30, 35 player in the country. But boy. When somebody's got an off night and there's another guy, that's how you build. And because shoe companies want to put all the talent in the same five or six schools because that school goes to the final four and they got their brand at the final four. Agents want to spread their talent out because if their guy is the only star in the team, he gets all the shots and then he goes pro. Leave it to agents. They will send their one guy. They'll scatter him about. Can't bench my guy. I'm the only one. Take Cade Cunningham. Now, Cade Cunningham went to school, not alleging anything. He went to school because his brother. But, like, he was never getting benched. No. no. <laughs> same with ben, ben Simmons at LSU. You know? Ben Simmons. Ben. Where you go? Just go to LSU. Yeah. Bide some time. You're number one pick. Oh, you're the rookie of the year. Yeah. Right? Luka Doncic. Did he play college basketball? Nope. Rookie of the year. LaMelo mm-hmm. Ball. Did he play? Nope. He would have been rookie of the year. He's injured now. Like, it's a different thing, but that spreads the talent out. I think the FBI changed this thing in the most unusually unexpected way. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's a great point. And we'll said, be reading this column on Yahoo. By, let's by do it. Down. <laughs> Might have already no. written it. From, uh, <laughs> Spigot. Spigot has gone dry at Kansas. There's a reason why Arizona's recruiting Lithuanians now. You know, spigots dry. Uh, you can go on down the list. I mean, it, it, no, there's. I, I, I believe there is a uh, definite uh, correlation here, no doubt about it. And the funny thing is, like, I mean, it's just so different the way rosters are put together at different places. Uh, it, you know, if you just going back to who's in the Sweet 16, and you look, I mean, like Oregon State's actually got several four-year guys. 
uh, Loyola is built around two four-year guys, Cameron Crutwig and uh, Lucas Williamson. Uh, but now they also then they they sprinkle around transfers and and JUCOs and whoever you need to fill the the gaps. But if you get a couple of those guys and they're good players who stick around and and buy the culture and all that business, and then you fill the gaps, that's that is what recruiting is about. And I've heard you know coaches say you guys probably have as well that that now I mean by far the most important recruiting they do is between now and like June. It's player retention and it's transfers. Those are the two things that, that that they are most busy on. Here's an interesting stat that dovetails with this. Like the world is flatter now than it used to be. I remember when Hampton beat Iowa State. I actually was in a sports bar in Dayton when that happened. Uh, Syracuse was in the I was covering Syracuse for the Post Standard at the time. And like I like it was such a seminal moment in 2001. Steve Murfeld, remember chubby Steve with his legs kicking up in the air when he got hugged. Right. So that was in 2001, the fourth in what ended up being essentially 20 years uh, 15 to beat a two. Richmond beat Syracuse in 91. Steve Nash's Santa Clara beat Arizona in 93. Fang Mitchell's Coppin State beat South Carolina in 97-01. So those upsets were were kind of moonshots in a, in a way. Like they were like, wow, they were axis shifting. Now they're still a very big deal. But if you look back at the last nine tournaments, we've had five of them now. Lehigh Duke, Norfolk State, Missouri, Florida Gulf Coast, Georgetown, Middle over Mich- Middle Tennessee over Michigan, and now Oral Roberts over Ohio State. So plus UMBC. Gone, what was that? Yeah, yes. plus and a 16 throw, over a yes, one. Yeah. Exactly. So you throw now, let's just say six axis shifting upsets in 10 years, and there had been four in the previous 20. So again, I'm not saying we should start to expect these, but all these different forces that we're seeing and feeling now, um, UMBC won because they had a kid named Jarris Lyles, who was like a high major guy who transferred four times, and he was a really good player. And I remember uh, calling some America East coaches that night about that upset because they'd obviously played UMBC. And they were like, look, they had the best player on the floor. Um, you know, yeah. Virginia has some very good players, but like that night he was the best player on the floor. That opportunity now happens because of the churn of transfers and, and the, way the, uh, the way the world works. So this is the, by definition, most upset-laden first, first weekend of the tournament. And I... I think this will this will be continue to be matched and in the neighborhood of like I just think the chalky tournaments will become the surprise from from here on in. It's just it's just the way the world is shifting. There's more players. There's more access to players. There's film. Like we we've all written these trend stories over the years of why the you know the the rhythms of the game are changing and they're they're all they're all fairly they're all fairly obvious. But I really did think now that like. The 15-2 is no longer like a fall-off-your-couch upset. Right. Right. Yep. So yep. the Big Ten and the Big 12 during the regular season were kind of hailed as, uh, not kind of, they were hailed as the best leagues. Big Ten had nine teams in and four of the top 14 seeds. And it looked, I, I said it on this podcast, and I, heard, I mean, this is the year. You got that many bullets in the chamber to try to win this national title. They've won none in 21 years. They get run out of the league, out of this tournament. Michigan's still alive. Uh, Baylor is alive for the Big 12. Well, that's it. And I mean, there are some humiliating losses in that, in that, uh, in those two leagues. Is what we're describing what happened and how in the world does the NCAA selection committee alter what it does so it stops overvaluing 
these leagues and and misseeding teams. I mean, I think we've all said, you know, Loyola. I mean, and Loyola didn't upset Illinois. It kicked the living mm-hmm. hell out of Illinois. It, did. it was better for all 40 minutes. If you said which team's the one seed and which team's the eight, you, every single person watching would say it was Loyola. Like, yeah. how do we get over the, well, let's just put another middling middle pack team in this league in. You know, I, I, I think about Belmont, which won 26 games and can't get in. Yep. And there's a whole bunch of teams rated below can't Belmont. Even NIT. Couldn't get in the <laughs> NIT. And there's a whole bunch of Belmont teams worse than Belmont winning games. Oh, yeah. 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 Look, I I don't know how we fix that. It is, I mean, it is remarkable and amazing. As you said, the Big Ten had nine bullets in the chamber and fired eight of them into its own foot. (laughs) Michigan's the only one still going. And they were the one that had the injured player that people thought were going to lose in the second round. I did. I thought LSU was going to beat them. Didn't happen. So good for Michigan. They got a coach, man. They got a coach. They do. Oh, he's good. Jawad Howard, man. Yep. No doubt. He's good. I mean, what, you you take out a guy like Isaiah Livers and you come back and you win two games impressively, that's strong. And that's uh, – you look at what Jay Wright's done without Colin Gillespie. Same thing. I mean, that's that's very impressive to lose a guy at the very end of the season and still go and win games. But, yeah, to your point, I mean – how do we fix it? I think unless you just change the makeup of the committee or get them to stop being so fixated on this quad one, quad two, quad three crap, you know, because you fixate on that and then you look and say, well, Loyola didn't beat anybody in the quad one other than Drake. Well, you know what? They won 24. They were 24 and four with one loss since early January by one point in overtime on the road against Drake, who made the tournament. They had done literally nothing wrong for two months. They had destroyed some teams in that league. I watched them one time playing like Missouri State. They were ahead like 50 to 16. And I mean, they, I mean, just obliterating teams. And the committee, well, they, they, they didn't have enough quad one wins. Well, God dang it. Watch them. Watch them play and get over the, you know, because those teams aren't getting the chance to play quad one teams, especially this year when the non-conference fell apart. So until that changes, this reliance on that and just the general, you know, look, the, the knee-jerk notion that, well, the fourth place team in the Big Ten has to be better than the Missouri Valley champion. They have to be because we've watched them and we've heard about it, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I don't know how you get over that other than you, unless you change the makeup of the committee. So it was it was interesting. Um, my my favorite uh, my favorite line of the weekend, and I have of me because I thought of Pat chuckling at it was uh, when I wrote about Loyola eviscerating Illinois. I said, I hope Sister Jean prays for the vision of Mitch Barnhart and the rest of the committee because clearly <laughs> they need some assets because <laughs> they what they were watching was not the correct thing. So perhaps it was just uh, perhaps it was just blurred. I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not really sure. So I I was uh, I was all ready to uh, fire a rocket into the committee's uh, thing. I mean, what, what do we think they eat in Indianapolis? We had a lot of queso jokes for the college football player. <laughs> Yeah, the, committee. The, what, what do you think? Elmo's shrimp. Elmo's shrimp. Yeah. yeah well, maybe some of that got in their eyes and they couldn't yeah. see. There you like, go. Do you think, do you think maybe Mitch watery. and like Bubba Cunningham rubbed the cocktail sauce on their eyes? And that's why uh, I mean, the blurry? horseradish content is high. It can, it can oh, very, make your eyes very water. spicy. All right. Very well, spicy. Yeah. Maybe we can explain that to Porter Moser. Maybe that, maybe that'd be a good, <laughs> uh, a good way to, uh, a, a good way to take that. So four of the 10 
on the committee, and I believe the committee is expanding to 12 soon. Four of the 10 are major conference. So you get Mike Babinski. My favorite is uh, they can't call him Bubba Cunningham from North Carolina. I actually have to call him Lawrence R. Cunningham on the uh, really? NCAA thing. Oh, but yes, it makes me laugh. It's like, don't I didn't even yourself. know what his real name was because he's I only been even. called Bubba. Only yeah, been Bubba. Nope. I've been Bubba for a long time. So Babinski, Bubba, Jamie Pollard are uh, the three of the 10. Am I looking at this right? Yes. Are the three of the 10 major conference people. Okay, plus Mitch. So Mitch makes four. Yes, I'm sorry. So Mitch, yeah, Mitch is the fourth there. I knew I was missing one. Um, And then you have just uh, uh, just some Tom Burnett of the Southland, Bernadette McGlade from the A-10, Craig Thompson from the Mountain West. So there's actually like a, the representation is better than I thought it would be. Uh, let's, okay. let's put it that I withdraw way. Now, that. really correct. represent the 30-something conferences percentage-wise? Probably not. But it was. I, I thought it was going to be more of a stack deck. And quite frankly, I've written about this over the years. It has been more of a uh, oh, yeah. more of a stack deck than from uh, f- from over the years. I, I really think like the shame of this all is like not only did Belmont not get in, like they didn't even have a chance. Like they weren't even in like the discussion. Their profile just automatically excluded them. I get it. They didn't play enough of this, and they didn't. It, the, I guess I understand why they didn't uh, they didn't get in because of the paradigm in which teams that get in are viewed, right? Like there's not about a mystery in the bracket anymore. The bracket, you know, the bracket is like fairly predictable. Like it, it is almost like made us embrace the biases because we know it's going to happen. So we don't put Belmont forward and talk about them as, oh, well, they don't have any quad one games, never mind wins. They're not going to be considered and they're just kind of tossed out onto the street. I think a hard rewiring of why we do this is going to be uh, is going to be is going to be really important. Now, if I was the coach at Memphis, if I was the coach at Tennessee, if I was the coach at Middle Tennessee, I wouldn't play Belmont. Not in a million years. All they're going to do is smoke me, right? They're going to shoot seventy six threes, and yeah, they're going to run circles around us. Pete, your point goes to Dan's. One of Dan's favorite jihads is this: is the bracketology industrial complex? Is you get those guys talking about the tournament for three months in the same terms that the selection committee talks about the tournament. And they're the ones disqualifying uh, Belmont as much as anybody, you know, when you got all the bracket ties now, now they don't have the quad one. They don't have the quad three loss. It's like, come on. You're going to your last four on the road. Like you're going to, it's just, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. In every league. And these coaches say that, and they're not just blowing smoke, man. It's hard to do. I mean, Oral Roberts, the bell of the ball right now, won their Summit League semifinal. I watched it against South Dakota State on a back-over-the-head volleyball tip-in by O'Banner. Or else they're in overtime against South Dakota State, and they may not win that. They were a number four seed in the Summit League. It's hard in these leagues, man. People know how to – there are good coaches everywhere. There are good players everywhere. Pat takes his South Dakota State t-shirt ownership seriously because he watches their Summit semifinal games. So I give you credit. You don't just own the t-shirt. You live it, Pat. That's right. That's right. I'm all in. We are all jackrabbits. Speaking quickly of Oral Roberts, Kyle Kerms on Twitter, a guy named Kyle Kerms, on 321.21 put out this tweet. No, Oral Roberts is not going to beat Florida today. That's a response to all the DMs I have asking. No shot. If that happens, mark my words, I'll get an Oral Roberts tattoo. Trust me if I am safe here, zero chance. (laughs) And 
We now have a picture on social media of a tattoo that says Oral Roberts tattoo <laughs> on the back of a guy. Where did he put it on his this body? Is real. If it didn't, whatever. Where, where on his body did he put it? Uh, it's it's in a uh, it's a cheek. Let's just put it that way. Oh. I don't want to. I don't want to get too far into Kyle Kerm's body parts. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. I was not, not expecting an the cheek podcast. Part. Yeah. Uh, you want to yeah. have the words Oral Roberts tattooed on your rear end? That's all he wrote. Yeah. Oral <laughs> Roberts tattoo. So did you get an Oral <laughs> Roberts tattoo? If you had to rank schools of which you didn't want the words of the schools tattooed on your body, I think Oral Roberts would be pretty high up. If you had to do one of those weird. one to 68 lists, I, I would think that We told you, the I told you guys last week, the prayer hands do not look out for those prayer hands. <laughs> Clearly. I think Clearly. I mentioned the prayer hands like three times in different stories this week. Oh, <laughs> got to. How about the fact Oral Roberts once said he saw a 900 foot Jesus? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, and that's and a rebounder Oral's, right there. Didn't Oral also go with the uh, the the true hard sell fundraiser? I'm going to die unless you send Jesus is coming to get me and take me and kill me yeah. unless you send me money. Yeah. yeah, I think it was for the med school, but yeah, okay. or a hospital yeah. or something. But yeah, he got yeah. the money and he didn't die. See, <laughs> imagine that. I don't I'm not saying he didn't see a 900 foot Jesus, but I got to say all the other people in Tulsa were apparently very non-observant. I mean, this is a 900 foot <laughs> Anything in my my neighborhood, I think I'm going to notice. Tulsa's is pretty flat too. Like I don't think you can yeah. find a hill. It's at least creates yeah, shade right. that yeah. you're not expecting. Nine hundred footer. All right. Uh, since this is a negative podcast, who had the worst first weekend? I'll, I'll offer up some candidates, and then you can go a la carte if you want. Shaka Smart, <laughs> Rick Barnes, Chris Holtman, <laughs> the Big Ten itself. Yeah. Um. I I think I got to go Shaka there. I. I'm a bit tempted just by actual personal observation bias to go with Matt Painter and Purdue. But for the and I like Painter and he's a very good coach, but he's Painter is the guy that gets all of that. He's the most underrated coach in the country. You know, he does so much with letter less than anybody else. He needs more credit. Well, he was pretty overrated that day uh against North Texas. But I I'll stick to the point at hand here. Give me Shaka Smart. I mean, that Abilene's Christian group. God love them. I mean, they play really hard. They have the skill level of like eight lumberjacks. Like you're just going to go <laughs> grab eight people out of a sawmill or something and put them on a basketball court and say, here's a basketball. Figure it out. Yeah, but they're they're lumberjacks. Like one guy's five, seven, another guy's no. like 140 pounds. These are not Paul Bunyan. No, no, no. Are you right? Pleasant's a looming guy. Aren't the lumberjacks well, the welterweights? Aren't you? <laughs> yes, they are. They're my favorite player, the 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 point point nose guard. I called him. I mean, he's like <laughs> six five, two six. They list him at two sixty five. Come on, man. He could that chop is some an NFL nose tackle's rear end if I've ever seen it. Not a lot I mean, of they, lumberjacks they, in Abilene. They cannot shoot. They cannot score. They don't pass terribly well. That team beat Texas. They've shot 30% and beat Texas. I mean, <laughs> Texas has NBA players, and Texas has good veteran college players. To lose that game was just mind-boggling to me. Here's why I'm going to go with Shaka Smart. <laughs> I really feel like if Abilene Christian was – Jacksonville State in Alabama, 
this wouldn't be that bad of a loss. But what what you realize when you coach at the University of Texas is you have to represent the collective ego of the University of Texas and that state. And to lose to Abilene Christian is going to insult the core of all those boosters and of all those big money people. There is so much arrogance and ego at Texas. We've seen it for decades. They flaunt it practically. To lose to Abilene Christian, Chaka Smart should run to an open job. He should have run to Minnesota. He should run to Marquette. He's from Wisconsin. You will not get over losing to Abilene Christian because they are Abilene Christian. Hey, nobody's come out and said Shock is still our coach either, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, well, that means they'll fire him. And he's not getting right. off that hot seat. <laughs> he's got to Cristo Conti's got this. Cristo Conti's got this move down. You know, uh, yeah. he's letting him. He's letting him twist a little bit here. Uh, Pete, you are so right. I'm sorry to, to jump in on this, but I'll be quick. But but Pete, the thing I always remember when we were at we we're covering a game at Georgia football game. And there was a NFL scout who was a Texas guy, Texas fan, Texas alum. Oh, and yeah. one or the other of us brought up, you know, why don't you hire Art Bryles? This was five years ago, seven years ago, before anybody knew how bad things were at Baylor. And he's like, we're not hiring the Baylor coach. And that is the Texas attitude about the rest of the state. So you lose to Abilene Christian. Yeah. I feel yeah. for you. At the very least, Abilene Christian was – it was an atrocious offensive performance. I mean, oh. it was – Totally ridiculous. This was not, they, they, they were not a good team. Uh, you know, like you're talking about some of those, well, Steve Nash was on it. <laughs> okay, well, that's why there was, a, there's no Steve Nash. This team was, they played dreadful. They still won. They played hard. Give them all the credit. But the final possession, at least they send Damian Daniels to the rim. Yes. He throws up a prayer, misses. Joe Pleasant gets fouled. And it was a foul. I don't even know how this yes. is a controversy. I think he was absolutely fouled. And then he hits the two free throws. I watched a collective salary of like $2.3 billion of coaches over the weekend call for last second shots of take a step back 30 footer after holding the ball for 14 seconds. (laughs) Nobody with a good, with a seven digit salary can drop a play. They're too scared. It's unbelievable. Go to the rim. You don't have James Harden. Yeah, right. If you have James Harden, ISO. (laughs) If you don't, draw up a damn play, coach. (laughs) It was driving me nuts. What are you doing? It is the biggest surrender play. And you just see it over and over and over. And you can really, you can see it coming. It's not just if you're watching the clock, but if you're watching the guy with the ball, because he's going to go between his legs like four times. It reminds me of the dude with the sword in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Where he's like... (laughs) He's not going to do anything with that. Indiana Jones just shoots him. That's what's going to Hey, look at me. I'm going between my legs. I'm going. I'm going. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm just going to step back and heave this shot, and we're going to lose. <laughs> I will say that, uh, you know, I hate to focus on the positive, but um, Joe Golding, to me, was the breakout, like, just moment of the tournament. All right, Joe Golding is the Abilene Christian coach. Uh, our football listeners would be happy to know that his sister is married to Sonny Dykes. Like, what you, you know it's like a weird night in the tournament when people are texting you about Joe Golding's sister being Kate Dykes uh, <laughs> at, uh, at like 104 in the, uh, at 104 in the morning during, during this. So anyway, I, I would have to say, and I, I would think you, I'm often mocked on this podcast for uh, my 
loving the minutia of the sport, obscure figures in the sport. I had not heard of Joe Golding until uh, until this last month. Pat, did you? Yeah, no, I, I had just because they he'd done a good job there. I know, like they shoot, where did they made the tournament? They played Kentucky. Uh, a few years ago. That might be okay. why I had heard of him. All right. Yeah. Well, our listeners would be happy. I had not, looks- but I've been to Abilene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been to Abilene. Yeah. Joe Golding is Once. a skinny Will Muschamp. Did you see him? Pat? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He looked just like him. He, he, I mean, like, in Twitter, I, I take no credit for that line. Twitter was all over it. But Keto, I'm pretty Keto sure he could Will have done Muschamp. a better job after watching his press conference. He could have done a better job at South Carolina the last two seasons than Will did, too. But that's probably like we'll, we'll say that for like a May, uh, a May topic. Um, so he gets up and he has, you know, does his press conference. And uh, I have no idea what to expect. But he has this like great kind of folksy uh, accent. And he, I thought he like cut to the core of, uh, and I wrote about this in a column uh, on Sunday, of like this NCAA tournament, what it means. He's like, it's been a tough year for all of us. We've obviously had COVID's a real thing. We've had a lot of social justice issues. We've had a presidential election that divided our country. We needed March Madness, man. We needed some type of normalcy in our country. We needed people to fill out brackets. We needed people to cheer for the underdog. This is what March is about in our country, man. We celebrated this. We had to be part of it listening to him and I was just like, yes. Like he took yeah. a bunch of really complex things, artfully weaved them together and captured like the mood of the moment. I was just like, Joe Golding, like that's some like good, simple wisdom. So yeah, I'm a fan. I apologize for having not heard of him before. And uh, yes, I look forward to like meeting his graduate assistants at some point. <laughs> All right. One of the uh, interesting items that came out of last weekend was – uh, comparison between the men's tournament and the women's tournament, women's basketball tournament, which is going on at the same time. Uh, and there was a um, uh, a tweet by uh, Sedona Prince, Oregon player, uh, about the weight room at the, the women's tournament, which I it, guess it had a couple weights. <laughs> Not much of a facility, though, compared to the men's one. Uh, there was other there some yoga mats. Of, all right. There's some yoga mats. For there's some yoga that mats. Like a little namaste. All right. It wasn't uh, was not equal, I guess, no, was the no, was the no, issue. No, no, no. Not equal. You know, everybody. I mean, corporate PR just jumped that. I mean, Dick Sporting Goods, Orange uh, Therapy. Everyone's like, we'll do it. Jumped mm-hmm. at the opportunity to step in. Uh, there was talk about uh, how kind of some smaller. Well, I, you know, depends on how you want to rate it. But like. The March Madness logo isn't on the courts of the women's game, but it's on the men. There's a belief that they don't. It's just the NCAA tour. The NCAA uses the term NCAA tournament only to refer to men. Uh, Don Staley came out. Uh, a number of people in the women's tournament. Eventually, the weight room got fixed and some other improvements, I guess, were made. Uh, to me, this was easily avoidable. NCAA walked right into a punch on this one. Just. They're sure. good at that. I give them credit. Oh, they're they're the best at. It. <laughs> yeah, I, I. So there's a lot of talk. Well, this is sexist organization, institutionally sexist, evil, anti-woman, all of this stuff. I'll let you guys discuss that. I will say, I think we would all agree they are wholly incompetent. Anytime the NCAA does anything, just assume it's incompetence first, <laughs> yes. because to, to apply a group ethic or thought would require like 17 committee meetings. <laughs> NCA can't like not do the weight room right on purpose because they would need meetings. There would have to be minutes. There would be a, there'd be a paper trail. <laughs> they can't do anything. So 
But your thoughts on the on the kerfuffle and and like does the NCA deserve the level of of attack that it was getting? Okay, they, they this is I agree that this is one hundred percent incompetence and not I don't think just like blatant chauvinism. That's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but here's like listening to Dan Gavitt in the days he's the NCAA VP for men's basketball leading up to their tournament. He made mention on multiple occasions. We've got use of the NFL weight room in the Lucas oil stadium, you know, like that. That's one of these great amenities, like all this good stuff. Well, you know, that's there and that's for there for you. Somebody at some point should have said, Oh gosh, do we, do we have something like that for the women? And nobody clearly did. Uh, The question is, you know, when they were putting everything together for the for the women's tournament, did they, did anybody ask the coaches or the you know any of the people involved? What all do you need? What do you need? What what amenities do you need to to be able to have a good tournament down here, and then provide it? Because that that seems to have not happened. I yes, gross incompetence, hundred percent believable. Willful disdain for the women's tournament. I don't think so. I mean, the women's tournament has just turned out to be a good, very positive part of NCAA athletics, you know, I mean, it, it gets improved uh, exposure. Uh, there's always good stories. Sometimes the games are incredibly dramatic. Uh, sometimes it's boring because it's UConn winning every game by 40, but I think we're moving away from those days and towards a more level playing field and some different teams and stuff like that. So I, I don't think the NCAA system says, oh, we don't care about the women's tournament. I, I just think they're stupid and they screwed that situation up big time. I agree with Pat. They, they screwed it up and then made it worse. Like, I give Dan Gavitt credit. He was like, that was a miss. I forget his direct quote. But he was just like, that shouldn't have happened. It, 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 inexcusable. It was a whiff, and we're going to fix it. What really galled me about the whole situation, I do agree. Like, the NCAA does a lot for women's sports, all right? Like, I, there are a lot of good people, like we talked about, who work at the NCAA. They don't wake, they don't wake up every day being like, oh, how do we, you know, how are they don't wake up every day trying to be sexist like the whole organization exists to you know they, they fund plenty of sports and they do a nice job with their championships generally my criticism is if you're going to have all these teams come to a city and you're going to put them in a bubble you have to give them adequate workout facilities and you're in san antonio so you don't have an nfl uh area like that but like you need to think ahead and figure that out but the the, the gross incompetence here and the, and the thing that was most galling to, to me more than anything was Mark Emmert's handling of this like Mark Emmert when you give him a chance to do the wrong thing he does the wrong thing every time it's actually really uncanny and I, it's almost defined his tenure in, in my <laughs> mind so he he said according to uh, Diamond Leung from uh, the athletic he told the Economic Club of Indiana, the weight rooms that were shown on the videos, those were never intended to be weight rooms. Those were exercise rooms before the kids went out to court for practice. Blah, 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 blah. But but once the video's out there, the video's out there. And that is, to me, quintessential, thin-skinned, unself-aware, just completely inept Mark Emmerich. Like, that is him in his glory. Because if you are a leader, you have to own your mistakes. And this was a mistake. Now, did Mark Emmert say, let's put him in a closet with yoga mats? No, but you're the face of an organization. There was clearly an error. You own the error and you fix it. All right. This is the dog ate my homework and the media's mean. Like, it's just the typical trope we hear from Mark Emmert. And going into the tournament, like, this was an interesting moment for Emmert, right? Like, he's wholly unpopular. 
all of the athletic directors hate him, all right? They just think he's completely a boob. They think he's an ineffective leader. I don't know if I've ever been around a more universally unpopular leader than Mark Emmert, all right? Like, it is just, he has no goodwill. The coaches think he's a buffoon. The athletic directors don't respect him, but it's the presidents who end up as the ones who have extended his contract and handsomely pay him. So I uh, was talking a little bit before the tournament to some athletics officials, and I'm writing a column about this on uh, on Yahoo today. Like, if you're Mark Emmert, one of your, really, if you're running that say, the biggest thing that you have is the tournament, right? The men's basketball tournament financially makes 90% of the NCAA go. And I, I, essentially what I've come to learn and done some reporting on the last 48 hours is that Mark Emmert, which has not really been talked about, completely has screwed up the future of the NCAA tournament. And his gross incompetence is going to undermine the future of college athletics. In 2016, they extended the NCAA tournament TV contract to 2032. And they didn't go into a negotiating window, which would have started like around now. And they basically took a property that's one of the most valuable sports properties in the American landscape, and they incrementally raised the value of it by 2% a year. And right now, it's probably undervalued. Let's put it this way. Early in these TV contracts, the networks aren't supposed to make money. CBS and Turner are making a lot of money. By the end of this, this will go down as the single worst television contract in the history of college sports and maybe in modern sports. He completely, the one thing you can't mess up if you run the NCAA is the NCAA tournament television contract. And he basically, right now, conservatively talking to smart people in this whole business, is going to end up costing the NCAA about $4 billion. And that's like really conservative. And that's not really going to affect Alabama and Clemson and USC. That's going to kill the Atlantic 10, the Missouri Valley, the Mountain West, the places that rely on those units to live are going to really suffer. And women's sports are going to really suffer. Complete, massive, gross incompetence for Mark Emmert. Shame on all the presidents on that council who sit around and go to meetings and, you know, eat their shrimp cocktail sauce because – just no presidents have the guts to do anything and call them out on it. It's the same reason why Larry Scott stuck around at the Pac-12 for so long. It's just total apathy. Now, look, do, do these presidents have bigger things on their own campuses? Sure. But if you're going to sign up for these committees and take vows and sit in the front rows, you have to take a long, hard look at the guy you're aiding and embedding. And you know what he did right after he signed that awfully undervalued TV deal? Well, he went and got himself a raise, made about 60, 70 percent more money. It's just classic, massive leadership. And these presidents should stick their head in the sand in shame for letting Mark Emmert do this and letting him get away with it and still trotting him out there as leader of the NCAA. Not taking the NCAA basketball tournament to market or forcing CBS more is absurd. But, you know, it's like, well, CBS has done a great job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the SEC, old SEC CBS deal was like that. It was a terrible deal. Yeah. I literally... I'm quoting a television expert in this column saying, like, those are the two worst. Like, two worst two contracts are the two worst deals in, in, in modern media. But here's the thing. The SEC has a bunch of other pots where it gets money. It gets money right. from the college football playoff. It gets money from bowls, obviously. Like, there's a ESPN. billion streams. Right. Correct. Yes, they still have a massive other deal. This is their one thing. And they just basically, it's like the worst kind of leadership. Scared leadership, myopic leadership. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. And quite frankly, he probably wouldn't have been around for this next TV deal. 
And by getting it, he was able to go to the president and say, hey, look, I just guaranteed you all these billions. Because when the stories were written at the time, those were big numbers. But when that deal is done, every year that goes on, that deal is going to look worse and worse. And shame on all the people involved who didn't have the common sense to wait. Like, they they were eight years out when they extended it. Think about that. Like, think about how, like, all these. That's that's ridiculous. The world changes in eight years and then some. Twice. The NFL just doubled its massive amounts, 100%. All right. The NHL has sold off half its rights for double what the whole rights went to. So, like, and you never know, like, you get the, like, Larry Scott lucked into that huge Pac 12 TV deal at the time because Fox and ESPN banded together to kick Comcast out. Like, so say maybe Amazon wants to go in with, someone else. like like you don't know like it could have been a lot more than that like those are like just the most bare basic like extrapolations of what could have happened so it, it, it's just a huge massive oversight he, he does a horrible job and you're right the response the lack of foresight and then the response was terrible in this because it was just a pr disaster and you're basically a pr director when you're a, a president uh and so you fix it you own it you fix it you apologize because what happened to me was the NCA opened itself up to getting raked over the coals in in ways that aren't aren't really fair. Like there's no organization on earth, as far as I can tell, and and nothing's even exponentially close that's done more for women's athletics than the NCAA. Amen. Nothing. I, I've been to six women's final fours. They're run almost exactly like the men's. Like when you're there, it's yeah. hard to tell the difference. Right. Other than one's in a football stadium, one's in an NBA arena, but the ban, the 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 signage, and all the different stuff is very similar. They take money, essentially from football, and then to a lesser degree, men's basketball, and fund women's athletics in this country. Many of the women's athletics, you know, the two sports that fund the money, that create the money, played at least with a higher percentage of of socially, economically disadvantaged kids, African-American kids, things like that. And many of the sports that they fund in women's athletics are suburban country club sports, including men's athletics. You know, like they take money from football and basketball and all of a sudden you got soccer teams, tennis, crew, squash, you know, all (laughs) these different sports. And so, like, I, I find that to be more of the issue than men and women, but they, they, they're, all the scholarships, all the money, all the coaching salaries, all the facilities, all the different things they do, and you're getting crushed on the one thing you can really say we do really well? Yeah, right. I mean, like, you know what kind of leadership and PR disaster it is? <laughs> yeah, when right. you're getting absolutely crushed, fairly or unfairly, this is what's going on. On the, You had million-dollar women's basketball coaches killing you. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They got 2,000 fans a night. <laughs> They're making a million bucks and all their kids are getting scholarships. And every other country on earth could give a crap about women's sports. Like I, I covered, I've covered three women's world cups. Like even the last one in 2019, like the other countries don't care. Right. We're in France. There isn't one billboard for the FIFA world cup in Paris. There's not one billboard. Nothing. The facilities aren't as good. Like they, they didn't even have grass until this last World Cup. This is the World <laughs> Cup. They had to play on turf. Bad stadiums. We're in Lyon. They, they had the World Cup final in Lyon, France. 
Not Paris. Why? Who the hell knows? Like, like every other organization sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you no, are I, I, really good at this and you're getting creamed on it. Unfairly, in my opinion, but because you leaned into this crap and didn't handle it. You right. should be like, dude, nobody's better than us. Right. We've provided millions of scholarships. Millions of them through the years. Yes, probably billions of dollars. Billions yeah. of dollars. There's nothing, yeah, nothing has been better for women's athletics in the world than the NCAA. And they 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 so completely fail to sell their tell their story appropriately. And then yeah, all of a sudden then you walk into this and you step on a on a rake and it comes up and hits you in the face and you're like, ow. I mean, <laughs> handle it. Handle the situation. They go. All you care about is men's sports. It's like, no, they take the money from men's sports and give it to women. <laughs> I mean, that's the fact. Yeah, well, after Mark Emmerich got hit in the face with the rake, he decided to dive into the vat of manure. Like, yeah, you know what I mean, like it's like they, they take up a, a hiccup and then they, they nobody can screw that up like Dan say. It's it's really uncanny. They they are really good at that. I and mean, like, I, this, this is the last podcast that praises the NCA, but I can't rip them for this. And yet here no. they are. Pat, how was your daughter's experience at the the swimming championships? Oh, I mean, by the way, she won. Congratulations, Pat's daughter. Oh yeah, buried the lead. Pat is yeah. Pat's daughter won the NCAA yeah. championship. Although yeah. she wins so much that, like, I, I guess we 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 become accustomed to it. But that doesn't take any of the joy away from Pat. No, so. there there are very few wins like that one. So that was that was really good. But uh, you know, I mean, it was tough. It was very tough. It was it. Much less team and fan friendly than the basketball tournaments. Much less. And like the parents, the families are complaining in Indianapolis, well, we're not getting to see our kids. And so they stand outside the buses and, you know, it's not, they, they, they wave to the team and the team gets on the bus. And I mean, it is kind of tough, but hey, they get to be there. We couldn't even go watch the swim meet. And not only that, not only were there no families, no fans, no media, no nothing, they wouldn't let their own teammates go into the arena to watch their swim when they weren't swimming. Like, unless you were swimming that day, you were told to sit in your hotel room. So you got literally nobody cheering for you. Uh, There was one uh, woman on, on the Stanford team. She's a senior. She swam on the relay on the first night. That was her only swim. She spent the rest of the meet sitting in her hotel room, her last college meet. That was it. She swam one time and then spent five days in the hotel, four days in the hotel. Congratulations. But, you know, I mean, look, we understand there are protocols for a reason, not saying that they were irresponsible, but it was it was a tough experience. So I feel sorry for, look, the guy, the the basketball players in Indy and in San Antonio, it's no bed of roses, but it's probably worse elsewhere in other NCAA championships. Where did you actually watch her uh, national championship winning swim? <laughs> uh, in Hinkle Fieldhouse. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. At, during the last minutes of Loyola, Georgia Tech. Uh, and okay. fortunately, it, it actually timed out really well. Like, like Loyola just put the game away. They're like up 11 with a minute to play or something. And she's getting on the blocks. And so I could watch that. And then, you know, her race was four minutes long. Poor Nancy Armour from USA Today had to watch me, you know, gyrating, gesticulating, <laughs> pounding my fist into my hand, et cetera. And then I jumped up out of my chair and grabbed Chuck Culpepper by the shoulders and startled him. And so, but it was good. Did you, because you were in Hinkle Fieldhouse, did you, did you channel uh, Brooke to measure the pool length to, to let her know it was the same <laughs> length as it was like the Louisville Swim Club where she grew up? And- I should have. I should have. By golly. Yeah. 
No, yep. Me and Bobby Plump, the happiest two people that have ever been in Hinkle Fieldhouse. All right, let's uh, let's bring over something from Bob Football that we like to do. Uh, we we like to hand out the Heisman every single week, and so why not hand out the Naismith Award every single week, at least during this uh, this event? Uh, we need a small sample Naismith. Uh, I am going to go with Ethan Thompson of Oregon State. Been a very good player, four year guy there. Um, it has kind of toiled in obscurity because they haven't gone anywhere. But they get to the Pac-12 tournament, and he, you know, he's he's playing, and he's really, really good. Like he scores 18 against UCLA. They win that game. Then they upset Oregon. He scores 16. He only had seven against Colorado. He had six rebounds, four assists, and then he gets to the tournament. Had 13 points, 10 rebounds, six assists against Sully's luckless balls, and then. Who was the best player on the court in the against when they played Oklahoma State? Might not have been Cade Cunningham. Not when Ethan Thompson was scoring 26, seven rebounds, had a block shot, and that game they they controlled the game. They, they controlled both games against Tennessee and Oklahoma State. Oregon State is on to the Sweet 16. Ethan Thompson, small sample Naismith. Well, it's a small world after all. I am going to go with the another son of a former Syracuse basketball player, Ethan Thompson, son of Stevie Thompson, uh, who was a dynamic guard for the Orange in the 80s. I'm going with Buddy Beheim, son of Jim Beheim, the preferred walk-on, uh, who I think earned a scholarship somewhere around 1832 when he first enrolled in <laughs> Central New York. Uh, I mean, B- Buddy Beheim was, uh, he was so good that his 25 points against West Virginia was his worst game of his last four games. 11 for 15 against San Diego State, 7 of 10 from 3. He finished 6 of 13 from 3, and in the postgame, both he and Jim were kind of disappointed that he missed a bunch of open looks. He had 31 against UVA in the ACC tournament, 27 against NC State in the uh, quarters, which, quite frankly, they needed to win. Al Toby, who's a listener to our podcast, or NFL at our Yahoo, said, who would have thought that, that Jim Beheim would have sired the next Clay Thompson? And it's a bit of a stretch, but like Buddy Bass playing real well right now. I mean, shoot, he is. Uh, it's it, yeah, he's not going to go be a you know a max deal player in the uh, in the NBA. But I would think at the beginning of this season he would have been really not an NBA prospect. And right now he's playing as well as anyone in the uh, in the country. Yeah, and then that zone is just going to be a sinkhole for for opponents in the tournament. We've seen a million times. So. Buddy Bayheim, uh, yeah, who, Jim Bayheim. I mean, Pat. Pat even wrote it. The, the Bayheims are a feel-good story, so that doesn't always happen. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Pat? Jim Bayheim is as bubbly as a week old <laughs> jar of Pepsi. Cup of Pepsi, yeah. Week yeah, old cup. cup of Pepsi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about right. All right, I, I'm giving the small sample Naismith to, to uh, a team team group, team award. Evan and Isaiah Mobley of USC. The brothers, the brothers Mobley uh, have got the Trojans uh, playing great. Evan, 20, a combined 27 points, 24 rebounds, six blocks, and five assists in two games. Isaiah with 32, 13, and six in two games. Both playing. Evan Mobley is going to be a, a big time NBA player. Uh, high draft pick, uh, but Isaiah is not the older brother is not falling too far behind. USC is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, it's not quite Dunk City, but uh, man, they're they're pretty good, and it, it certainly uh, pace a uh, revived Pac-12 that we'll discuss more in next game. 
Big time effort and big time victory over uh, both Drake and Kansas. I, like nobody rolled through the first two rounds uh, better than USC. And yeah, they, they I mean that did. was a gut stomping last night. Yeah, Look. and they gut stomped Drake in that second half. So it was like, yeah. you know, they're rolling. Um, so I'm going to give it to the Mobley brothers. All right, we said. I, can I at many... least ask one question? Sure. I did, just to be, you know, jerks since we are on this podcast. Has anybody seen Mr. Mobley say do anything on the bench? Like, has he coached at all? I mean, he's not, he's not really there for that. But, you know, like some some program, like Mike Lewis for UCLA is up, you know, gesticulating defensive assignments because he had the scout and stuff. I don't get the feeling Mr. Mobley had the scout on a lot of these games. I taught him in the driveway, man. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, he, he did a great job yeah. as a parent, but I'm not sure yeah, he's well, breaking down Kansas film. Mobley's hiring as USC assistant essentially – staved off the specter of the NCAA investigation for USC because USC was jammed up in that, not to the extent of Arizona, Kansas, Auburn, Louisville, et cetera. But USC was like a like a second tier. Tony Bland obviously got arrested in uh, in that. So when they replaced Tony Bland with Coach Mobley. And so like that, you know, a lot of people have praised the, the hire of Cade Cunningham's brother. That hire by far and away <laughs> because it – brought an immediate pipeline of uh, of really talented players from a single family, but it also made USC the cool place to go, and it really fortified that program. Like, that hire is a distinct pivot point for Andy Enfield, which came at a very dark time. Tony Bland kind of got nailed taking a bribe that he possibly paid back. I don't know if there was a lot of recruiting violations in there, but he was in there. You don't want to be uh, – it's not a trial. don't know what's in the notice be. of allegations. They won't tell us. Yeah, yeah Tony, well, that's true. Tony, I went to college with Tony. I've known him for a long time. He was flying a little too close to the sun. You know what I, I mean? He you're was not, hanging around. You're not running the, in those circles. Um, he was taking, yeah. take, he was, yeah, I know. I know. But, you know, just trying to be fair. All right. We've said many main things, uh, as we always do in this podcast. We focus very little on the winners and all on the losers. Uh, but we try to uh, redeem ourselves often at the end of the podcast by making us say something nice or at least challenging us to say something nice. So here's the time. Pete, can you say something nice? Is it possible? Yeah, I'm going I'm to say something nice about Rutgers. Look, they obviously blew it against Houston in that, sweet 16, in that game to go to the Sweet 16. And it would have been a great moment for that school. But like, I've covered a lot of games at Rutgers over the years, old Big East games, etc. To see... Rutgers in the NSA tournament in my adult lifetime was quite an accomplishment. And I give Steve Peichel a ton of credit. If you think about, and I'll use my favorite phrase here, the flotsam and jetsam that have coached at Rutgers when you go through uh, the naked free throw incident under Kevin Bannon and Mike Rice <laughs> chucking balls at kids being caught on video. Um, and then they just had to play no bad coaches too. Uh for Steve Peichel to come in, oh, Eddie Jordan golfing all the time and not graduating. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's just been a, like, comic disaster. Like, if I told you all those things would have happened to a coach at, like, a major school, you would be like, no way. That can't happen. Nope. It happened at Rutgers. So for Rutgers to hire the right guy and to give him time and let him figure it out and reach the NCAA tournament and actually win a game, I tip my hat to the Scarlet Knights. I forgot about the naked free throws. What, was yeah. The, yeah. what yeah, the hell know. was the point of that? <laughs> yeah, you know who broke that story? Our old friend, Adrian Wojnarowski. Did he? I thought, I thought uh, he might be involved in that. What was that motivation? That, like, how, I don't is that know. how does that help a basketball it team? It was strip free throw. Like, if you miss, <laughs> you've got to, like, 
Yeah, bad deal. Bad what? Deal. Yeah, really stupid. Can you really imagine stupid. how big of a story that would be today? Like it was a pretty oh big story God. back. Oh, then. it was a big story. Yeah. But like yeah. today, oh, yeah. I don't it's know. Just, it's really weird. Yeah. I just I don't get the motivation. Like I could see other. Okay, like Bob Knight grabs Neil Reed by the neck. Like big scandal. Not a good way to coach. But I get it. He's frustrated, trying to make a point. I mean, I there's at least a a demented thought process in there of why you might strangle your players. <laughs> you grab the jersey, you miss. You grab the I, I'm not Yeah. We're not ju- I'm not justifying it, but I'm just saying. Like, okay. It's but a conventional way to coach It's a poorly. conventional way of, of aggressiveness. <laughs> yeah. I want you guys to be better free throw shooters. Hence, I want you to be naked. <laughs> There's just nothing there. I don't get it at all. It's really, really weird. I think Bannon has some like fairly cush job now, uh, <laughs> like running a state parks and rec department for like 80 something uh, grand. I remember looking, Googling it and looking. He was he's quoted occasionally at some point. Even throwing the balls at the guy and hurting him. I get that. <laughs> like, it's like a you, punishment. You get behind that, Dan? I'm all I mean, joking and abusive behavior. But just we need video on. of Wetzel's um, indoor co- <laughs> soccer coaching days again. Yeah. I mean, we ran yeah. a tight ship there at the Knights <laughs> FC. You're telling me the naked free throw guy is now Leslie Nope has a career? That's 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 happening? That is incredible. I, I, so. I looked a couple of years ago. I can't vouch for it right now. But he had some sort of like innocuous. Oh, he became a high school coach for like two seasons. This is according to Wikipedia. My Must favorite fake news source. Yeah. Uh, yeah wait, this is there's some, there's some juice to this story. Hold on. Yeah, this is pretty good. Are we saying something nice about Kevin Bannon? He was a geez- <laughs> Is this the same guy? A former, I got an AP story from 2017. Okay. A former Rutgers basketball coach diverted thousands of dollars of public money from a New Jersey park system. To a non-profit he controlled and gave him and his family benefits, including free concert tickets. According to an indictment unsealed on Thursday. Oh, New Jersey, never change. <laughs> Imagine going to prison because of a uh, getting indicted because of concert tickets. No, yeah. I just can't. Of course, yeah. imagine having naked free throws. All right, anyway, say, uh, we can't County say something. Park though. Commission was where he worked. That Leslie, was, no, uh, I don't know. That was beautiful. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to say something nice. I'm going to say something. I, you know, not that we could go on about Kevin Bannon, but I'm going to say something (laughs) nice about the Pac-12. I'm going to channel my Bill Walton here. The Conference of Champions, incredible display, unbelievable (laughs) excellence, superior performance. Four out of five teams that got into the dance are still dancing. No other conference has more than two. Uh, We mentioned USC has looked brilliant. UCLA has played great, won three games. Uh, really, they've only had one close game out of all these Pac-12 wins. UCLA overtime against Michigan State in the first four. Since then, they've rolled. USC has rolled. Oregon has rolled. Oregon State has rolled through two games as a 12 seed. Uh, so the conference has got a lot of problems, a lot of issues, way behind in a lot of areas. But by golly, in basketball, where we had they have been undervalued and underappreciated, they are showing out right now. So say something nice. Way to go, Pac-12. All right. I'm going to say something nice make, about uh, Mr. Mobley, the commissioner, and his magic will continue. Pat's trying to get a job on the Pac-12 network now, I think. <laughs> that, that window may be closing pretty fast. I don't know if that's, yeah. that's where I put my <laughs> lobbying efforts, too. Yeah. And it's it's weak, weak chance. All right. Uh, I'm going to say something nice about the Arkansas Razy, Razorbacks. 
And uh, just because I love that they're back. When I my formative years of, of following college basketball, Arkansas was good. Uh, Nolan Richardson had them going. Forty minutes of hell. They had this crazy stadium in the middle of nowhere. Arkansas. The whole thing just fascinated me. How in the world is Arkansas any good? I got the uh, many of the other teams, but not. I didn't understand. But I loved them, and now they're back. Eric Musselman looks like he's having fun. Uh, great game against Texas Tech. Musselman was so excited to go shake Chris Beard's hand. He went and climbed on a scorer's table and celebrated <laughs> with the crowd. I love that lack of sportsmanship. <laughs> Justin Smith, Devontae Davis, Moses Moody. They got this whole crew. Jalen uh, Tate. I think they got like four guards. They got like three guys that can score. Uh, they're just playing hard. And uh, I love having Arkansas back. Woo pig. So I'm going to, that's it. I'm saying something nice about Arkansas. Also, I picked them to go to the final four. So keep winning because I'm down to only a couple teams left. I think I got Gonzaga. What else I got? I got FSU, Gonzaga, and Arkansas. I'm doing all right, actually. Yeah, you got three. Yeah, you copied me. I did pick West Virginia. Huggins let me down. Were you, uh, did you have that pit in your stomach when Colgate was up 10 in the first half of that game? <laughs> no, I, I was hoping actually Colgate would win because you would be thoroughly humiliated. And we we're going to have special guest Seth Davis on to make fun of you. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, yeah. we were. They were not. actually up 14. I was at, I covered that game. They were up to 33 to 19. I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. That Delish. was also just a gigantic athletic mismatch. Like, I yeah, actually. It was read, a matter of time. <laughs> I mean, Colgate, like, Oral Roberts has got some dudes. Colgate don't got dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back Thursday to preview the next two rounds. Uh, well, so we'll look ahead. So if your team wasn't mentioned today, it's probably good because this is all negative. We'll be more positive on Thursday. Maybe. Talk to you then. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.